Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Hello, I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and welcome to The Game, the official Kiss of Death podcast. Uh, sorry, Lucas, and sorry, Brucey. This week, I'm joined by Matt Hughes, Ben Smith, and Julian Lawrence, who, as you probably have gathered by his exotic-sounding name, is French. Later on, we'll be pondering which side will knock England out of Euro 2012. No, don't worry, I didn't actually write this. Chris, the producer, did. I'm not that cynical. I think you can win Euro 2012. We'll also be looking at the changes in the Northeast. But first, let's kick off with the Premier League. And let's start in the Northeast, Newcastle and Chelsea. Now, um, I'm going to give anybody to come out and ar- a chance to come out and argue that David Luiz should not have been sent off. No, nobody want to argue that? Great. So, Husey, I want to hear from you. Mike D made a mistake, and afterwards he admitted his mistake. Is this one of those rare situations where we praise referees for their honesty or criticize them for their uh, incompetence? Well, a bit of, bit of both, really. It's not a zero-sum game. He was wrong to make the decision in the first place, but he deserves credit for admitting it. And I think you're right. More officials should be given the opportunity to speak to the media afterwards and to, um, to be honest. Did it change the game? Well, it happened after so early in the game. It, it, yeah, of course, it did. it's a different, different contest with 10 v 11, isn't it? Um, Newcastle actually did pretty well. And unfortunately, it was 3-0, 3-0 I, I think, even they hit, hit the bar twice and were really in it until Chelsea scored two late goals. So 10 against 11, it's a completely different contest. Ben Villas-Boas said that um, they were due some good fortune after all the uh, bad fortune with officiating decisions that befell them. Um that that makes sense to you? Uh, there's always the <laughs> the luck evens itself out over the season argument, and Although maybe, statistically, it's yeah. been proven so many times that it doesn't. I know, I know. Um, I mean, Ch- Ch- Chelsea, I suppose you could argue are due in some sense, but uh, in another sense, uh, I think they probably deserve this. Um, you know, they made them. You know, having survived that lucky escape with Louise, that they, they went on to to dominate and um, uh, you know although Denver Bar hit the bar on the post I think they were well worth their victory Julian you're on board with that <laughs> not sure I'm not sure about that one no I think I think obviously the, the, the right to feel robbed by, by the referee's mistake obviously and then I just like the way they 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 played Newcastle I think you know they've, they've played City United and, and Chelsea in a row got on one point out of nine but they showed some and that was with a dodgy penalty too. yeah it was it was so maybe the luck they didn't have <laughs> or the, the, the right the right decision they didn't have at the weekend made was made up for the 
the one they got out Trafford but you know I, I like the way they played I think they would have deserved the draw definitely with the, the way they played and the way they troubled Chelsea Hughesy um Andre Villas-Boas came out and said that David Luiz will be the best player in the world in two years' time. Um, now, it's not uncommon when a player is under, under, under pressure that his manager comes out and praises him lavishly. Um, we've followed him since his arrival. Um, I know we can all see that he's got the tools and, and whatever else. Can you enlighten us as to what the problem is and whether uh, AVB's uh, prophecy uh, will, will come to pass? Well, he's been in England a year now, hasn't he? Ten months, and he hasn't got any better. He's as exciting on the ball and as talented as, as he ever was, but he doesn't seem to have grasped the basics of defending, which is which are positional awareness, making judicious challenges, challenges knowing when to step up and when, when to step back. And, and playing with your teammates, he seems to sort of play on his own, which isn't isn't the actions of, of a, of a world class player. Certainly not a world class defender. And um, I I can't really see him developing in the way that first um, first claims. I think he was just standing by his man as, as he has to, given he's fallen out of his other Brazilian, Brazilian centre back. He has no choice really, does he? Staying with Chelsea, um, this Alex Nicholas and Elka business, Julian. I want to get you, you take first. I. Okay, obviously you have too many players and obviously Alex isn't particularly good and you don't like him, so you want to sell him, fine. And obviously you should have sold Anelka in the summer. You didn't do it. You gave this guy more millions for without ever really using him. That's fine. But why do you have to come out and announce it? And why do you have to make them go and train separately? Did they do something wrong? No, no, they didn't. And do you know what? The, the worst thing is in the summer, Anelka wanted a, an interview with, with Villas-Boas because he wanted to know you know, if, if he was counting on him or if he was planning to, to play him or not. He never came. Villas-Boas never went to speak to him and say, okay. Really? Didn't he see him every day in training? Yeah, yeah. But he wanted uh, like, you know, a proper private chat to see, right. okay, what do you expect from me? Do you, do, are you going to play me or do you want me to go? Or, and that never happened. And Anelka was like, well, okay, if he doesn't say anything to me, then maybe because he's going to play me. In the end, he never played him. And I put him with the reserves. I think this is, it's really rude from, from Villas-Boas. I don't really get it, to be fair. Well, my understanding is also that they had, they had at least one offer from, uh, from MLS, which Anelka would have strongly considered but that was then killed because Chelsea wanted a transfer fee which MLS yeah. obviously weren't going to pay um, Matt does this tally with your information? Yeah I think it's a very strange way to handle things since he arrived at Boas partly because of his age partly because he's relatively inexperienced has made a big point of being aloof and kind of playing the harmony if you like sending two senior players two pretty popular players who haven't done anything wrong well haven't been in subordinate, that haven't done a Tevez, have been professional, sending them to train with the reserves just because they've asked to leave given they've not played all season just seems really bizarre and it's going to be interesting if he continues to um, carry on his approach to the rest of the season. Frank Lampard had a bit of a hitty fit on Saturday when he was taking off, taking off. Yeah, what exactly happened? Is Villas Boas going to ostracise him? It's, it's, a, it's a very dangerous very dangerous tactic to be so authoritarian so early particularly when results aren't going well because you're kind of asking for, for a revolt Can you fill us in on what happened with uh, with Frank? Well he was just taken off and you probably saw it yourself on, on match of the day he was clearly not very happy sort of putting eyes to the skies and then he came back and sat on the bench and just looked absolutely uh, Okay but furious. I just want to be clear on this Hughes because I, I think 
this body language thing is completely overplayed. I think we in the media are guilty of it. So I just want to ask you, is it just because the Match of the Day producers found footage of Frank looking unhappy and said, look, he's throwing a hissy fit? Or do we have any other indication um, that he really is angry and throwing hissy fits and not happy with AVB? Well, he's ne- the thing about Frank is he's, never, he's not happy when he's not playing, but um, and the, obviously the manager has the right to make whatever decisions he, he makes, but his reaction is not that of a happy, respectful individual. Gotcha. It's the, the Balotelli school of reaction, you might, you might call it. Um, well, we should also praise, I think, Daniel Sturridge. Um, ben, I just wanted just to wrap this up with you. Uh, Chelsea, we've got this unusual situation, I think, with, uh, with the strikers, right? Because you've got one striker who literally never, ever plays um, but comes on and scores. Um, you've got uh, another striker who is 18 and possibly the future, but he also never plays. And when he, a few times he does play, plays very badly and they seem to have forgotten like to move him on or, or loan him out, although I'm supposing he, he probably will go. Uh, we have another striker who's Spanish and, and wonderful. We have another striker who's Spanish, highly paid, and not so wonderful, and who doesn't get on the pitch, but they're on the hook for him for another four years. We have another striker who's French and uh, uh, well, leaving and training by himself. We have Daniel Sturridge, who's English and scoring a lot of goals, and then we have Drogba. Uh, can you sort out this? I mean, Sturridge, I thought actually, I'm not a Sturridge guy at all, but I, I thought he played well. How do you see this planning out? I mean, should we? Is Sturridge going to be used as a center forward? Is he still going to be on the? Do we learn anything from the fact that Torres has been on the bench? Do we have any inkling what Villas Boas's medium-term plan is? Uh, at the moment, it's hard. It's hard to see. I mean, this was a situation that should have been dealt with last summer. I think when when Drogba and Anelka, perhaps that was you know they should have moved them on then because at the moment they have an absolute embarrassment of riches in some ways, and in some ways they've got strikers who are there's too many strikers there for any of them to feel uh, wanted or, or get enough games or score enough goals. You know, the Torres situation is one that is 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 a bit of an embarrassment to Chelsea at the moment because they bought this guy clearly a talented you know world class striker but at the moment they can't afford to give him the games to get his confidence back and they've reached a point where they've almost given up with him Drogba I think will, will move on before very long I wouldn't be surprised if he left in January if not he'll obviously leave in the summer um, as we know Anelka's going Lukaku as Matt wrote last week can't go out on loan because of an error made in the in the Chelsea backroom office where they didn't realise he'd been loaned out too much this season Kalu God knows I mean he, he's just there to chip in now and again and Daniel Sturridge I think is the future and I think in the end we'll probably play through the middle but for now we'll just have to make do with with you know coming in and scoring goals because they don't seem to have a clear plan for how to how to accommodate all these guys Matt all season long I've blamed this whole mess on uh, the people above Villas-Boas um, should I have been putting some of the blame on Villas-Boas as well and uh, how do you think Chelsea are going to come out of it well, I think the, the, the board and the club have to take ultimate responsibility, but it's clear he hasn't helped himself. I was with him in the summer on their Far East tour, and we kept asking him, you know, what are you going to do in the transfer market? You've got to ship some of these players out, surely. And his response was always, we have great talent. These players are good enough. They can win titles. That has manifestly shown it to be the case. And he's admitted as much sooner than we ever thought he would by basically putting a third of the squad up for sale. He should have been far more proactive. And when he was appointed at the end of June, said, look, Anelka, Alex, Drogba, Kalu, Malula, I don't fancy you. Let's get get you out and get other players in. Instead, he, he gave them far too much, gave them far too too long to 
sort of prove himself to him in, in, in a facile way. He said, you know, you can play the Thai All-Stars in the pre-season friendly in Hong Kong and show your goodness over Chelsea. What, what does that prove? It proves absolutely nothing. And he's kind of reaping the sow for his, reaping what he's sown earlier and paying the price for his earlier inaction. Julian? Yeah, I, I really don't... I'm, I'm not convinced yet by Villas-Boas at all on the pitch. I think all the things he does on his uh, bench or in front of his bench during the game just amuse me so much. What? I spent I spent <laughs> all those movements he does. He's like, so, you know... And sometimes he, he shows stuff to players when the ball is, like, far, far away from them. And you just, even the players looking at him, they say, what are you doing? And uh, when I go to Chelsea, and I'm going tomorrow, and uh, I spend, like, almost half of the game just watching at him. It's, it's so amusing, I think. But on the pitch, I haven't been convinced. And even less in the way he manages team and, and his uh, pedagogy towards players because I think that's been dreadful like, like Matt said um, Newcastle now Steven Taylor huge blow out for the rest of the season I, mean, I, I think Pardew's entire squad would probably fit in a, in, in a phone booth and now he's without him and, and Colaccini of course also with a knock um, we've, we've praised him all along an interesting situation because you have an owner Mike Ashley who loses a lot of money and doesn't spend that much. He, he has to go out and buy a defender now, right? We'll bet on it. I think... Um, we see a lot of Mr. Perch. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Taylor's been... Uh, Colicini and Taylor have been the bedrock of you know, Newcastle's success this season. They've been the organisers. They've set them up properly and losing a pair of them you know, for however long. Taylor, we know, is out for a long time. is a massive blow. But I wouldn't expect Ashley to go anywhere near the transfer market in January. I think he, you know... It's all about saving money at the moment in Newcastle. Um, we've seen that time and time again. And uh, I think if Ashley can finish top half Newcastle this season, that, that will be enough to keep him satisfied. So, um, you know, no, hold, don't hold your breath, Newcastle fans. Uh, moving on to Tottenham and Bolton. Um, uh, Matt, uh, I've been accused of not giving Tottenham much love this season, but... You know, I look at this now. It's in the last 11 games. It's 10 wins. It's one draw. I have to ask myself, are they the second best team in England? On form, yeah, they are. And if you bear in mind, the two games they lost were against the, the top two teams in the country in difficult circumstances. The Modric start of the season, the, the Modric saga was rumbling on. He hadn't got Adebayor and Parker in yet. The team he sent to Old Trafford on the... First for their first game of the season was, was very weak by Tottenham standards. So you almost have to write those, those games off. Since then, they've been incredible, and, and as well as winning games, they're, they're playing great football, scoring loads of goals, and their um, you know their sort of front six is as exciting as, as anyone's probably bar Man City. So um, I think at the minute, yeah, they are the second best team in the league. Do you, do you, I mean, do you think, I mean, if they continue in this vein, let, let, let's say they, they do finish second, um, they play like this, everybody's happy. Could you see a scenario where Harry might say, you know what, screw it. I mean, why do I want to go and take over England when I can stay here and, and, you know, coach all these wonderful players and have another go at the Champions League? Well, that is, that is the big question. Redknapp's future. Um, and if Tottenham were sort of slightly more cleared up they should have committed him to a longer contract earlier I think they, the reason they haven't done that is they realise that if England come calling Harry can't turn it down um, despite the fact that he's doing a good job at Spurs and the future looks good for them you know he's 64 years old he lives on the south coast in Sandbanks what would you rather do 
get up and be driven to Chigwell every day by Kevin Bond or work a few months a year making <laughs> an England team. You know, you, I think. Sorry, does Kevin Bond get paid more money for it? Does Kevin Bond really drive him to work every day? Well, he, he does. Although the uh, the sort of unspoken secret is that Kevin Bond goes every day. Harry goes in two, three days a week. I had this image Bond, of Bond, Bond and John do most of the traffic, which I think probably tells you that Harry's age of life, he would probably prefer a slightly less handsome job. See, I, I had this image of, of of Kevin Bond living above Harry's garage and, and, and Panorama <laughs> Road, you know, a bit like Fonzie. But, um, Ben, so they... T- I was struck by the team that, that, that they played. I mean, the, the, uh, as a weekend, sort of four four two, Vandervaart coming in off the bench. I mean, this is a team that you play at home against bad teams, right? Mm-hmm. In in real life, away from home, you put Vandervaart in there. You have the one guy up, but you still have Parker as the only holding midfielder, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it was quite retro in some ways uh, the the Spurs side, but uh, I think the pace they have. Uh, in wide areas makes them a very dif- di- difficult proposition away from home and, and uh, you know they'll be a side that can sit back against the best teams Van der Vaart there and Modric in, in the centre providing creativity the pace coming from Adibayor Bale and, and Lennon and they can sit and hit, hit the best teams on the break I think away from home they could be a real threat um, later in the season and, and as Matt says they're certainly the second best side in England at the moment time will tell whether they can sustain that through the season I mean they don't have the distractions that others do perhaps we'll see later this week but um, I I think they could be a real threat as the season goes on Julian do you love Spurs as much as the rest of us do on this pro Spurs podcast I I think they need a a centre half I agree with that yeah yeah. in January because King is injured again you know Galas won't Dawson be back at some point well I wonder (laughs) I hope so for him but no but and and, and as well they've been what's wrong with Galas are you being anti-French again no anti-French no 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 anti-French no 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 with William but uh, but, you know he's he's 33 now and and he's not the youngest fittest quickest that that he's been before and and I think he's just not good enough he's supposed wants to win the league or finish in top two don't think he's good enough and I don't think Basong is good enough so I think they would need someone else there and the thing as well they've been lucky with injuries so far but if Parker gets injured they're in big trouble you know if Modric gets injured and they've got no coverage on the wings either for Bale or for Lennon up front it's okay with you know they still have Huddleston yeah, that, that's what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, do you know what I mean? Uh, today, Parker and Modric are the, probably the best partnership with Tour and Barry in the Premier League, in the centre of the pitch. If they lose one of them, I think the, 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 the team won't just won't work as well as it's doing now. So, you know, finger crossed for them. If they keep their best injury, you know, their best players not injured, I think they're going to go really far this season. So Matt, I, I want to get from you on, on, on Bolton because last year we were praising Owen Coyle to, to, to high heaven and um, this year they've been awful. But I look at it and I look at four very good players who were there at the end of last year and, and, and Stuart Holden, Chung Young Lee, Johan Omander and Daniel Sturridge and, and I look and these guys have been sort of you know replaced by by Ivan Klasnich, by Chris Eagles, by this Matt Davies character, um, David and Gog, people like that. I mean, is that is it as simple as that? You lose four very good players and you replace them with bunch of not so good guys or or is Owen Coyle doing things differently and doing things in a worse way I think I think you're right I think the form is the case I think they've got they've got worse players I, I was at Spurs Saturday I looked at the team sheet and you, 
you look down the Bolton team and there are a lot of players in there that aren't in my view Premier League players certainly not come on name names players. name names well, well Rita Coco bombed at Villa who were struggling and now he's gone to Bolton uh, Chris Eagles has never really fulfilled the potential he had as, as a youngster you look at the bench you've got Ngog who um, failed, failed at Liverpool Gail Kakuta who did nothing at Chelsea couldn't get a game at Fulham and he's now at Bolton uh, they really do not inspire much confidence and Irene Coyle has inherited a, a reasonable team who was struggling and he stabilised and did well but I think his moves in the transfer market are where you can really criticise him because he's he's he's, um, but he's not added any value to that squad well, and, and also Gary Cahill the, the £20 million centre half seems to be getting worse and worse although we can't really blame him this weekend um, we we praised Dean well we criticised Dean for getting it wrong then praised him for getting it right um, Stuart Atwell sending off Gary Cahill I mean even Harry Redknapp and of course it is, e- it is easy to be charitable when you spank the opposition Julian um, he came out afterwards and said it was wrong what what was going through his mind? For those who haven't seen this, Cahill is basically out on the sort of right-hand side of midfield. He does this, this stupid drag back. Um, he loses the ball to, to Scott Parker, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I believe it was. Now, bear in mind, Scott Parker is a wonderful footballer. He is not particularly fast. I would imagine that Cahill could have fallen on his rear end, gotten up and, you know, taken three giant steps and caught up with him. Um, but anyway, Parker falls and... It's a red card. It's it's a last man situation when he's way up the pitch and there's central defenders and whatever else. I, again, I'm assuming this is completely wrong, yeah. but even, even that night, who was who was in the center of the pitch, who had pl- who would have had plenty of time to to recover and 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 and, and catch uh, Scott Parker, you know, it was still there. So we, you can't even argue that the the whole thing was almost on the on the half halfway line. It was just ridiculous, and there was no hesitation from the ref. He just didn't think. He just you know it was red straight, and everybody looked gobsmacked. Even you know on the benches, obviously the, the two managers, but even the players went like, "Is that for real, or is it just a joke from somewhere?" I think. And last season, Stuart Atwell sent off Gary Cahill as well at Arsenal, maybe for so again for like very you know another polemical choice, polemical decision. And I think either there's something wrong with Stuart Atwell and Bolton and Gary Cahill, or or just the guy just keeps making mistakes. It was weird. It was a weird one. Hughie, when you when you saw that, were you thinking? Right, there must have been something else. Maybe maybe Cahill pulled out, you know, a can of pepper spray or something. Or I mean, did you have any explanation? Well, no, we immediately thought it was a it was a poor decision, and as, as did Harry Redknapp, who was, as you know, the Tottenham press box. He's he's just stood yards away. He was kind of exasperated and was kind of sympathetic towards Cahill. He just got he just got it wrong. I think Atwell, you know, it's, it was, it's danger of uh, generalising too much, but but like Burst Bar, he's a young guy. He's sometimes trying too hard. We we referees make. The, make decisions and they get things wrong we accept that but on Saturday he, he made a decision he didn't have to make you know, you know what I mean it was more yeah. like a, it was a judgment call he he kind of put he, he almost opened himself up, opened himself up to ridicule by um, just being too eager really and the referee isn't you don't want the referee to be the centre of attention you know the old creature goes you, the best referees you don't notice and we certainly noticed your owl on Saturday yeah, not the best weekend for uh, referees across the board in the Premier League, but at least at least Dean came out and was honest. And hey, maybe Stuart Atwell, you might want to do the same. All right, we're we're gonna have uh, two little tiny micro debates on this week's podcast, and the first one is Euro twenty twelve, and um, I. 
I don't generally like talking about draws myself. Um, I, I feel a lot like those managers um, and club officials do, like after the Champions League draw, where you know they always smile, like no matter what comes out, and you don't know if they're happy or annoyed. And afterwards, they say, like Capello did, that they're satisfied with the draws, if uh, um, as if they could do anything about it if they weren't satisfied. Um, Husey, you're, you're the biggest England fan here, clearly. Um, <laughs> what did you make of the draw, especially vis-a-vis England? Um, well, I think Capello was pretty honest, really, in his comments afterwards were as candid as you can expect the manager to be. He said he was relieved not to be in Group 2 and he was pretty happy with Ukraine, Sweden and France. What I don't understand, and this is probably slightly selfish, is why we have to go and spend a month in Krakow and then fly a thousand miles to Donetsk for a game. I just don't understand the rationale for for being in Krakow. Well, Krakow Um, is a lovely city and it's pleasant and Donetsk, well, you've been there so you know what that's like. Yeah, but, you know, we're not going there. That's a weird thing. We're not going there to um, have a nice time and be good tourists as David Bernstein you know, bizarrely claims they're going there to hopefully win a few football matches. Right. I can't believe I can't believe there isn't one training pitch in uh, in the Ukraine that would be good enough for our gilded footballers. Last time, you guys all criticised him because he was running a boot camp in South Africa. Now he goes to, to to a relatively nice place, and that's not good enough either. No, but this is classic FA, and they, you know, and one thing you would criticism from is being too sensitive to sort of media and public criticism. The fact that England were locked up in Rustenburg, frankly, wasn't really relevant. And now they've lurched from one extreme to the other, and they're staying in a, you know, a swanky hotel off the main square in Krakow that has its own lap dancing club. Uh, I don't really see how that's going to help. And just I think they should have taken the common sense approach of what withdrawal was made and facing themselves in the same country where they're going to be playing. Can I use this as an excuse to blame Alex Horn? Can I just say it's all his fault? You can say that. I mean, I don't know if he's uh, actually the official FA. Does he make any decisions? Um, I, he's not exactly. A powerful chief executive. That's what you're getting at. Um, but I think I think it was to be honest, it was Capello's choice. Um, right, I'll play Capello then. I'm, I'm sure he's a lot wealthier than Alex Horn anyway. Uh, Julian, um, France, you guys obviously you got a lot of stake and you got to go to the playoffs and blah, blah, blah. And we, we seem to have this fixation that like because you somebody does badly or indeed embarrasses themselves in the last World Cup the way your country did and my country too, um, that it's going to be rubbish again the second time around. And I actually a bit counterintuitive. Sometimes you have people who sort of you know come from behind, a bit unexpected. I look at France as a tremendous amount of talent in the squad. In fact, I might, and in terms of sheer numbers of good players, in my mind, maybe you're, you're third uh, behind uh, Spain and Germany. Um, am I being too nice or? Well, a little bit. Yeah. First, first, just to reassure Matt, we've got the same problem. The the French went for a, a, a camp in 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 Poland, so we'll have to fly as well to uh, because we played twice in Donetsk and once in Kiev. So at the moment, uh, we we're still in Poland. So um, we it's, again, it's, it's like England. We we can't see why they can't try to move to Ukraine for the for the competition. But anyway, then I think you'll be too nice. Yeah, I think the the problem we have, we've got good players, but they they seems to not be able to play with the national team as well as they play with their club. You see, Ribéry scored a, you know again two goals at the weekend with Bayern Munich, and he's rubbish with France. 
he's just and same with Najri same, the only one the only world class player we've got is Benzema and he's playing as well with Real Madrid and with France the others Rami's not world class no way oh no he's having a good season for Valencia yeah but he's having terrible time with France terrible time even even Blanc the other day said that sometimes he scares him on the pitch <laughs> which we says a lot so no we do have problems with, with the form of our players with the national team they doesn't seem to be able to play as well as with their club and uh, but it's a great it's a great draw I mean you know we're going to hammer England it's a great England. draw <laughs> it is it is we haven't lost against England since 1982 in a competitive game and for the last five games we won four drew one so there's no worries at all about that poor England team without Rooney you're very average anyway so we're going to start by a win you know, a good 2-0, 3-0 to, you know, have a good um, goal difference as well. Then then just smash Sweden and, and Ukraine and finish top of the group. Right. Easy. See, Julian thinks he's sort of, you know, winding up uh, the English here, but he doesn't realize <laughs> that he's actually talking to an Italian, a, a, a closet <laughs> Scot, and uh, a Yorkshireman who really could care less about England. It's so. more for the listeners. <laughs> Okay, we've had our first managerial change of the season. Um, I'm sure it's very upsetting to the LMA because that, that there haven't been that many because, of course, it's the amount of time that we spend talking about the LMA and the valuable things they do is directly proportional to the number of managers who get sacked. Um, many thought it would, it would be Steve Keane, but it's, uh, but it's Steve Bruce. Um, ben, it, inevitable, was it? Or should he have stuck with him longer? In the sense that Sunderland weren't really going to go down, were they? No, I, I, I don't think they would have gone down under Bruce. But I, I think there was a feeling that things had gone beyond the point where uh, they were recoverable this season. Um, and I think Ellis Short is now very much hands-on, making decisions. I think Niall Quinn would have, had it been down to him, Steve Bruce would still be the manager. Um, I think Ellis Short um, is very forthright and has his own views and was very clear on this and I think it's been coming and um, and as soon as Niall Quinn was eased aside I think this this was probably on the cards uh, Hughes you're, you're up, well you're originally from up north um, uh, I think you're originally from somewhere sorry I think you're originally from somewhere you're either from, from somewhere or you're not <laughs> I, I really should know not to mess with the Yorkshireman's pride here. Um, okay, so Yorkshire is closer to the Stadium of Light than uh, um, than where we are than Wapping. Um, does I mean? Do, do you think now Quinn's going to go too now? I mean, he's obviously he's, he stepped down from his role as chairman. He's got this traveling ambassador role. Um, from what you can tell, is it the kind of situation where he's going to say, you know, what if I'm kind of here and you know Martin O'Neill's here and. What do I actually do? Maybe it's time for me to move on to pursue other interests. Uh, I don't. I don't really get that sense. I think, although Short made the decision to get rid of Bruce, um, I think Quinn was fairly instrumental in the talks with O'Neill and sort of brought the two parties together. Um, so I don't. I don't get any sense that he will be, be leaving it. Yeah, I agree. It's a pretty bizarre job title he's got. Um, Why Sunderland need an international development director or whatever? Uh, I'm not quite not quite sure, but um, I, I think I still think he's involved in the decision-making process and is sort of an invaluable sounding board for sure. Who is obviously doesn't have much experience of football, and also crucially has no wish to have any public profile. So sort of Quinn is quite a good um, public public face of the club, and I think he'll continue to do that job and do it, do it pretty well. Uh, Julian, it's um, it's Martin O'Neill. Um, he was a Sunderland fan as a kid. Um, 
here's what I don't understand. If Alice Short's been to the saying for, for the last couple of years that, you know, Sunderland were losing money, they had to cut costs, they had to rationalize things, that's why they let, obviously they sold bet, they let Asamoah Jean go and so on. Um, they're still hemorrhaging money. Um, if you're losing money, why would you go and choose to appoint somebody like Martin O'Neill, who's obviously done, obviously did well at, uh, at Aston Villa, while spending a lot of money and crucially left Aston Villa um, when the American owner uh, decided yeah. no more losing money? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. It's or are we going to see an O'Neill that's going to work on a shoestring budget? I think you can. I, I definitely think you can. I think he took advantage of the fact at Villa that there was money available and why not spending it then? You know, but if he gets to a club where they tell him, look, you have to do with the squad, and it's quite a good squad, you have to say, you know, they've got some, you know, good players. It's not, it's not a bad squad. I think they should do better than, than they're doing, definitely. They've stopped improving under Brucey. That, that's why I think he's gone. And, and I think Martinelli is a much, much better manager than, than Steve Bruce is, especially Tactically, I think Bruce has made some horrible choices tactically, you know, this season and a bit last season as well, and should have done better even last season. And, and yeah, I, I do believe Martin Lille can work with our money with the players he has now, and, and I think he can do a good job there. And it's been a while since Martin O'Neill worked without money. In fact, mm-hmm. I might go back and suggest that, say, it was... Wickham. Yeah, pretty much never. And even, and even at Wickham, I think, relative to the position they were in, the, you know, they, 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 did have, they did have some flexibility there. Is that going to happen? I mean, are we taking this for granted, or is it possible that Alex Short might say, you know what, while I had Steve Bruce there, I didn't want to lose a lot of money, but now Martin O'Neill's here, and, you know, that might change my mind. Yeah, I'm a wealthy hedge fund manager. I can stand to lose some more money. Financial fair play is not a concern for us because we're not in Europe. You know, maybe I do roll the dice. I mean, is that, can we rule that out? Uh, perhaps we can't rule it out completely, but it would surprise me. I think... Uh There'll be twenty million pounds to spend probably January and into the summer. I'd be surprised if there's any more than that. And I think that's in line. I mean, he had a net spend of in excess of a hundred million pounds over think, four years at Villa. I, so I think we'd be amazed. Be happy with that. I think we'd be <laughs> we'd be amazed if we saw any numbers like he had at Villa. I think Julian's right though. I think he can work on a shoestring budget. I think the qualities he brings as a manager in terms of motivation, in terms of uh, I think his tactical awareness is better than than Bruce, and I, I think there are qualities there over and above his abilities in the transfer market that make him attractive to Sunderland. Um, whether he can actually take them to a level where Aston Villa couldn't get to, I, th- I think he will be hitting the same brick wall in, in a few years' time. I think that they can only go to a certain point, and I think in the end we may see a, a kind of similar situation. Hughes, you get the final word on this, and uh, I will tee you up with uh, with two questions. Um, one is, do you buy this argument that Martin O'Neill can do can can, can work wonders on a shoestring? And uh, two, um, is Martin O'Neill better than Steve Bruce? Or let me well, try. Let me, let me amend the second question and tailor it to you. Who would you rather have managing Huddersfield, Steve Bruce or Martin O'Neill? Well, we had Steve Bruce and sacked him, so uh, <laughs> I don't think he'd be welcome. But and I think Martin in the old CV proves he is he is a is a better manager. Um, but as, as as the chaps have said, he does like to spend money. And really, we had the sixth highest budget in the Premier League and finished sixth. So you think that was a par? He was also uh, people yeah. quote that figure all the time. He was also in the time he was there, and he also had the third highest net spend in the Premier League. Yeah, so you think six is a par achievement rather than something to be um, 
crying about, which is sort of how it is remembered, given the way Villa have fared since. But I mean, said that I think he's he's a good manager. He does improve players. He gets the best out of limited players, and um, I think he'll stabilise it. But Sunderland, I mean, said that I don't think Bruce would have taken them down, and I feel a bit sorry for him. He lost his best striker last January. He lost Gian in, in the summer and hasn't really had a chance to replace either of them. So um, it's no wonder they've struggled. Uh, my two cents is I'm I'm really uneasy about this. Uh, I, I don't think Martin O'Neill plays particularly good football. Um, I don't think he plays particularly effective football. I think he spends a lot of money and because he speaks in complete sentences and is far more intelligent than the average Premier League manager, we often give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, I, I think if you, I don't know if there's any evidence that if you give Martin O'Neill limited resources, he can do well. I think the way forward for Sunderland would have been actually, hey guys, let's have a medium-term plan here. What kind of a club are we going to be? You know, we live in one of the most deprived areas of the country. We have a huge stadium. We're not going to sell it out and sell a bazillion corporate boxes. Do we want to break even someday? Then maybe the investment that we should be making is is in youth. Maybe we should look to uh, a hungry manager from perhaps from the championship. Uh, sort of the way clubs used to go and promote uh, managers was go and find them the next level down. And I think, uh, and this would have been the perfect season to do it because Sunderland aren't going to, you know, no matter how bad they are, they're not going to go down. So, but hey. They went for uh, uh, they went for Martin O'Neill. They're paying him two million pounds a year over three seasons, and I guess it's a deal because Martin O'Neill makes thirty three percent more than Steve Keen, and I think even I would say that he's more than thirty three percent better than Steve Keen. All right, time now for some quick hits. Arsenal pummel Wigan 4-0, and Robin Van Persie scores only one goal. Lazy day for him then. Julian, uh, first everybody, especially you, was down in Arsenal. Then they started saying it was a one-man team, especially you. Um, does this performance suggest to you that maybe there's more to the Gunners than uh, RVP, and should you maybe be um, eating some humble pie? Of course there's more, there's more. You know, you, the, the, the new signing starting hitting proper form like Jovino, like Arte and and even Matisaka is improving so that, you know that's good he's Van Persie is the only strike, good striker Arsenal have because Shamak and, and Park are not you know nowhere near him but there's all, all other goal scorers in that team you know and, and and Walcott will soon be on the score sheet you know scoring goals Javinho as well and, and, and I expect even Ramsey to score and you didn't even mention Oxlade Chamberlain no Yakubu scores four goals as Blackburn power past Swansea 4-2. The Yak now has nine goals in nine games, which is three times as many as Everton's top scorer, who um, I believe is somebody named Velios. Uh, yet Davy Moyes, who I have to admit we love, especially me, let him go for uh, just around one and a half million pounds in the summer. Uh, ben, how wrong did Moyes get this one? Moisey got it very wrong, I think. I mean, he uh, he allowed Yakubu to go on loan last season, but he was a fourth-choice striker at Everton. They just didn't see eye-to-eye, eye, I think. It was as simple as that. But credit to the Yak, he's lost a bit of weight. It was a good move by Steve Keane. I'll give Keane credit for that. And uh, he he looks he was fantastic on Saturday. Keane, Manchester City pummel Norwich, 5-1. Um, Matt, the record for most goals in a top-flight season is held by Aston Villa, who scored 128 in uh, back in 1931. Um, and, well, 
City are on pace to break that, and I should add that Villa did that in a 42-game season, whereas we only play 38 these days. The record for most points in the top flight season is held by Chelsea, managed by some guy named Jose Mourinho, who got 95 in 2005. Uh, they're on pace to pulverize that too, going as high as 103 points. Is this City team as good as the numbers suggest? They're as good as the number suggests after 14 games, but you don't hand out league titles for 14 games, so we'll have to see if they're as good as, as they're threatening to be out of 38. Uh, listen, City uh, look like a brilliant team, great football, so many options, but we have to see if they can do it at the business end of the season. The one hope for their opponents is that in Champions League and big games, they've not delivered. So if United, Tottenham, who knows, maybe even Chelsea can stay close to them, then um, they might be able to put some pressure on at the business end. I see. So the one hope for their opponents is to transform themselves into Bayern or Napoli. Gab, one for you. Socrates passed away on Sunday. What do you think he meant to football? Um, I, I, I think Socrates is absolutely um, huge. I think... Um, in the context of that era, you know, sometimes we talk about, well, there'll never be another one like him. I don't think there ever will be another one like him because because football has changed. Um, you know, the, the, the whole sort of the giant midfielder, six foot four with a little tiny leg, sort of spraying back heels all over uh, all over the pitch with the beard and the and the headband and just being so cool and loping around. And I was just on the pitch. Um, you know, off the pitch, of course, hey, look, a qualified medical doctor, you know, scoring in the World Cup and then getting a doctorate of philosophy and being a Maoist and just all these levels really, I think, made him a genuine renaissance man. And I think today, in today's football, A, a player like him, I don't think would rise to the top or would have to change his game completely to rise to the top. And B, you know, we don't like outspoken players. We don't like players who have political views. We don't like players who are that different unless it's, you know, part of a carefully designed look. That's all we've got for this week. But remember, you can go to thetimes.co.uk for all your news, your gossip, your analysis, the web chats. Mine is on Tuesdays. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, Till next week, toodaloo.